Check out We Are Calvin football podcast in association with McAvoy Super Value, Virginia. Real food, real people. Try Super Value's own range in store today. Quality products at one third the price of branded labels. McAvoy Super Value, Virginia. Supporting local. We Are Calvin podcast. Because Calvin's not just a place, it's a people. Okay, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another edition of the McAvoy Super Value GA podcast brought to you by We Are Cavan. And uh, Damien Dunahoo here, I'm delighted to be joined by, as usual, the same man. But but after your actions at or on Monday's OTB AM, I think we can only call you a renegade at this stage, Paul, because you've caused massive controversy in only including one footballer in your Mount Rushmore selection. Explain yeah, <laughs> it'll take a while to explain this one, Damien, but uh, first of all, I, I stand over my choices and, and, and the format of the show was such that Dave McIntyre picked his four and I was allowed to veto one of them. Obviously, I could argue for others, but I could only I could only have sort of one of my wild cards that, that had to be accepted into his list, um, which which didn't leave a whole pile of room. I felt there was a couple of automatic selections on it, of which, of which Leona Maguire, in my opinion, was one. The way the way it was put to me was I, I basically had a choice to get Leona Maguire in or not, and I chose to get her in. And uh, I've got a lot of tweets and stuff about it. Um, Ooh, and it's in, it's interesting that like uh, the tone of the tweets is in, are interesting because a lot of people are just suggesting that I have nothing to do what I'm talking about, um, which I mean in most cases is correct. Yeah, but, there's there's a, there's a lot of incidents where people could be accurate in that, but. I don't think the battle on John Joe, they're, they're going to win with knowledge on you because there's, there's not too many know what you know. Well, I'll, like not sounding like a pompous prick here, but apart try, from... Rela- trying not to. I'll try my best, yeah, more, no more than usual. <laughs> but apart from relations of John Joe O'Reilly and, and possibly a historian like George Cartwright, who, who is an expert on John Joe O'Reilly, um, there wouldn't be probably anyone that would have the knowledge of John Joe O'Reilly's football career uh, that I have because not because I'm any fount of knowledge, but I have researched it at length, and I research it for a book. And I could talk all day about John Joe O'Reilly's career. A lot of people that have tweeted me, if you ask them, if I ask them to talk for ten minutes about John Joe O'Reilly, I think after they talked about him, captain and captain to two All Irelands, um, and dying obviously at 34 years of age, and that there's a song about him, famous folk song. Uh, they wouldn't have much more to add to it. Like, would they know how tall he was? Would they know what type of player he was? Would they know that he never played club football in Cavan after the age of 19? Would they know that he, he came from Kilachandra and moved to, to Corner Fane to live with an elderly uncle of his when he was about 13? Um, you, uh, you had to separate the hype from the, or the history from the hysteria. I, I think, um, I think, I can't remember what way Dave kind of described it, but almost that, you know his his stature elevated through de- through his debt almost. Now don't get me wrong, John Joe has to be there in the conversation. Um, 
you know, but he like he he wins ten Ulster titles as as Dave McIntyre said. You know, that's has there been any players or has there been many players since to win ten Ulster titles? Well, old timers in Corner Fan, I have heard, would tell you that that uh Big Tom, John's brother, was considered a better player um, by many at the time. Like he won twelve Ulster medals, he won three All Irelands to John Joe's two, and this is his own brother. So if we're gonna if if we're talking about purely on medals, one John Joe Riley's not in the game. He's not he's not on the list if we're if we're going to talk about medals uh, because Mick, Mick Higgins won three All Irelands, which is an All Ireland more than, than than John Joe Riley won. He also won one as a captain, which okay John Joe won two as captain, but Mick also achieved that status of of an All Ireland winning captain. Um, and he had a stellar managerial career after. Like, there's no doubt in my mind that Mick Higgins, because because John Joe's life was cut short, and Mick went on and added so much uh, to his sporting achievements after he stopped playing, um, including training a minor team to an All Ireland final in 1959, which is forgotten as well. While which, also in 1959, I I I, I did, and I didn't realize it till I was listening to the, to the podcast. He was he was coaching Longford at that stage as well, wasn't he? Well, well, he, he started coaching Longford in in '68, and he led them to a national league title and led them to the Leinster title that year. And uh, as I mentioned on on OTV, he he also trained Cavan at the same time. And uh, he, he he went down. To, he used to go down to Longford racing greyhounds, and that's where the connection came about. And he was approached, and he said he'd take it on just for the love of the game. And then when he when he finished up with Cavan, like there was a bit of bad blood when Mick finished with Cavan. And he was probably a bit annoyed about how it finished up, and um, a new regime had come in at that stage. And he ended up getting approached by Columba McDyer from Donegal, who who was a Donegal man who had played on the Polo Grounds team uh, for Cavan. And he asked him to come up and help out with Donegal. And I think they had to go to the house a few times to convince Mick to go up. And he went up and helped out with Donegal, and they won the Ulster title for the first time. So there, there's no doubt about it that that Mick Higgins. Mick Higgins was, was above John Joe. What John, what John Joe O'Reilly had was was uh, iconic status, and Dave McIntyre talked about it. You know, he had that whole the James Dean thing, forever yeah. young, taken in his prime. Now his football career was coming to an end when he died. Like he died in November '52. He hadn't played with Cavan. Um, he didn't play in that that hard when the team in '52. He was 34, and he had got that that knock in the kidneys uh, playing a club match in Kildare. Um, but like. Yeah, I think I think it's important to put it put it in context. You know, like John O'Reilly, for example, and this is something that people don't realize. Like John O'Reilly wasn't a huge, big, tall man. Like like Big Tom was a huge man. Uh, John Joe was five eight and a half, and that's on his military record. Um, and he he was he wasn't a great. Oh well, there wasn't such a thing probably as a great ball player or a defender back then. There were the odd ones like in that area. You had like some PJ Duke who carried the ball from the half back line. But John Joe's big thing on the football pitch was his athleticism and his speed. So at the time, he had huge numbers in the in the Irish Army, and John Joe was the All Army Sprint Champion. So that was he was yeah. one of the fa- fastest men in Ireland, probably. He was extremely quick as a defender, and the biggest thing he had was his leadership qualities. Like, like he just he was just one of these people that that had that. Um, it was in him, and he was a leader of men, and he, he led Cavan, and he was iconic. Um, but you know, people, I've had people saying to me. Uh, John O'Reilly should have been number one. You, you, you cannot make a strong case for John O'Reilly being number one based on all we know. Like you mentioned to me, Jim Smith, Damien, that was an oversight probably. Definitely should have been in the conversation because he held absolutely mythical status. You know, there's a famous story about a 72-year-old man who could hill listen to the game on the radio, a fellow called uh, Patrick McConnell. 
And when, when Jim Smith went off injured, Patrick McConnell said, that finishes Cavan. He dropped dead on the spot. This was reported in the sense. So that's the kind of status he had. Yeah. Like, I, I, I have to say, I, I was very disappointed that Jim's name didn't come up in the conversation. He, he won eight Ulster titles. Four of them as captain. You know, played, played in, in the first All-Ireland final that Cavan was in in 28. When they probably should have beaten Kildare by all reports. And, and and was outstanding that day. From uh, there's a report I, I was sent. So and then goes on and, and he's the first captain to win the All Ireland for Cavan. And for me, that's a huge thing. It's it it's being the the one who who wore the path for the first time. Huge. Yeah, I think that holds extra status. It does. It does. I'd agree with that. But in reference to, to Ulster titles back then, so obviously Huey O'Reilly was originally on my list and. Um, Probably, probably, I had to submit my list to the lads in, in off the ball on the Friday, and I had Hugh O'Reilly on my list, and I kind of he fell by the wayside then. But like his his achievements, being involved in thirteen All Ireland senior finals and clearing yeah. replays, played on the first two winning teams, played on that first junior team who won uh, Cavan's first All Ireland in twenty seven, and then trained the three later teams. But I give it to Higgins because Higgins, Higgins was that rare thing. He was the best player in Ireland at a given time, and a very, very few players. There've been so many greats, thousands, hundreds, and thousands of great players down through the years, but not many can say that without a doubt there was a point in time there was, even if it was one week or one month or one year, where a player could say I was the best player in Ireland, and everyone knew it. And uh, Mick Higgins was that. Like if there was a Footballer of the Year award, he probably would have won it in '47 possibly 48, and he definitely would have won it in 52 when he scored eight points in the final. Peter Donoghue had, had gone off the scene. He was the, the Bay Brute, the greatest place kicker in the game. He had, he had kind of gone a, little bit, gone a little bit wild at the time and it was only a sub in 52, And even though he was still pretty young. But they didn't have a free-taker, and Higgins hadn't been a free-taker, really. And uh, he just invented himself, reinvented himself as a free-taker. And the ultimate, the ultimate schemer, the smart player on the 40, tough as nails, the Iron Fist and the Velvet Love. That was Mick Higgins. And then his, his managerial stuff. So you can straight away I would say this any talk, anyone who says John Girelli should be number one, dismiss that out of hand because that that does not stand up to scrutiny. The, the other point is that that was said to me was John Girelli was on was on the team of the millennium and the team of the century. Mm. And again, you have to you have to look at that. I, I'm a firm believer that you don't give someone an award for winning an award. It, like in our Anglo said sports awards, sometimes it We'll get a nomination in that someone someone got a special award from rugby or athletics or Gaelic or whatever and should be should get an award in, in, in the Anglo Celt Awards. And I, I believe you don't get an award for getting an award. The the team of the millennium and the team of the century, they were picked on an arbitrary basis, opinion based by a panel. Okay, a lot more thought would have gone into it than, than went into my Rushmore, sure. But they they were picked on a similar basis. The, the uh, there's a there was a degree of tokenism there as well. Cavan so dominant in the early years of the last century. Cavan would have there would have been uproar if Cavan didn't get a player onto it. Why and, why was John Joe on it and not Mick Higgins? I'll tell you why. Because Martin Brown. Because he's well. Is is it as simple as Mick Higgins was a forward? Yeah, complete. That is it is as simple as that. Martin Browning talked about this in the Irish Independent yesterday. He, he was putting up his, his top 20 from the various Leinster counties. And with Mead, he had Colin O'Rourke as the best Mead player of the last 50 years. And he mentioned how Martin O'Connell made the team of the century or the team of the millennium. 
but wasn't wasn't and Colin O'Rourke didn't, but but Martin O'Connell was not his number one. You think he was only his number three, and he said, "Well, the team of the team of the millennium had had uh, it was much easier to get into the backs. Oh, no, it wasn't easy, of course, but it was there was a lot more uh, room to get into the back line, particularly the half back line, than there was to get into the the forward line. So there's a bit of tokenism there. I, I think John Joe, the gallant John Joe's uh, status." His, his iconic status probably swayed that as well. Don't get me wrong; I'm not taking away from him. I mean, I I know the status that he had in in the sport, but I'm just straight, straight off saying anyone who says he should be number one, that's just knee jerk stuff, and you haven't done your homework. Well, yeah, I, I the only thing I'd slightly disagree with you on is that it's definitely it, it, it's the beauty of it is it's down to opinion, and it there's there's room for debate on it. There are people out there, and I'm sure, that could make a, a very valid argument why John Joe should be number one. I necessarily wouldn't agree with you, or or with would would wouldn't agree that John Joe should be number one. Not not looking at it like the other one that I, I no think, the, the, just just to respond to that, there is no valid argument for John Joe Riley being number one. <laughs> there there isn't. There is no on no basis is John Joe Riley did John Joe Riley achieve more or hold a higher status in the GA than Mick Higgins did. It cannot be. It cannot be argued on on any level that he did. Bar one, the one thing that he has has over him is that he captain Cavan to two All Irelands and uh, wins, and Mick captain Cavan to one, and everything else Mick either equal him or surpassed him. And the other point I wanted to make, just also, I just want to mention Tony Tai. Like Tony Tai turned twenty one at the end of nineteen forty nine, at which point he had played in six Ulster finals, winning five, and had played in four All Ireland finals, winning two. He was a sensational player. He was man of the match in the polo grounds at the age of 21. Absolutely unbelievable. And his career was cut short. He finished playing at 27 years of age. He had his three All-Irelands in, in medals in the bag. Not even mentioned. But why, is Tony Ty, why does Tony Ty not hold this iconic status? Um, Again, it's the captaincy, though. Like, to, to, be, to be made captain is, is, is to elevate you above... The, the players below almost and and I think that that's where the debate or the or the or the discussion could come in that that on the greatest Cavan team of all time that was in three All Ireland finals in a row probably should have won three in a row. John Joe was the leader. He was the the backbone of the team. He was the man who made them tick in terms of that that they looked to him for leadership. So that's where that's where the debate could come. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. Yeah, that's a good point. He was he was the the captain of the team. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and he never he never was fair and wanting. Like as I said, uh, and, he was he was a leader. That, and, and 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 yeah, yeah. And that holds a, a that holds a special sway. It holds it holds, it holds a special place. But also also the manager um, has a has a huge bear on it. And obviously Huey O'Reilly. Well, I was going to bring that. I was going to bring that. Like Huey. I, I have to say, if I was picking my Mount Rushmore, I'd agree with two two of your three gimmies, but I'd have two two football legends on it, and it would be probably Mick Higgins and, and Huey O'Reilly. Because for me, while John Joe, you know, an amazing leader, and Jim Smith, obviously, too, I think without Huey O'Reilly, Cavan would never have risen to All-Ireland winning standard. Like, in, in 1928, when Cavan were beaten in the All-Ireland final by Kildare, you know, there was, there was this idea at the time that, well, look, at Ulster teams are, are the, the, the poor relation of the football world. 
you know, an Ulster team will never really win it. And there was almost a shock then when Cavan came up and ran Kildare to a point. And the reports were almost that, you know, will Cavan have Cavan have, have done brilliantly well here? They really could have won it. And no longer are Ulster teams the gimme in all Ireland semi-finals or finals. And the you know, Jim Smith on, on on that was was obviously as a captain, but for Hughie O'Reilly to change the mindset within a county and then change the perception of that county across the country, I think that that, that, that has to have him on it for me. Brady's Arva Limited, main dealers for Volkswagen cars and commercial vehicles, have been serving the needs of the motoring community in Cavan, Longford, Leitrim, Monaghan, Mead and the surrounding counties for over 50 years. A family-owned and family-run business, Brady's are famous for their long association with the GAA. If you're looking for a new or used car or commercial vehicle, check out Brady's Arva Limited. They provide an unrivaled sales and after-sales service and are open six days a week. Brady's Arva Limited. Get on the winning team today. See www.bradysarva.ie for more details. Yeah, like Hugh O'Reilly. Yeah, well, for my money, he's he's ahead of uh, John Joe O'Reilly again. Like, and that's again nothing against John Joe O'Reilly. Like, but we're we're separating fact from myth here. People get, are getting caught up in the myth, and you have to look at the facts. Uh, just one one point on what you said. You're 100 percent right on on uh, Calvin coming so close in 1928 when they lost to Kildare, and how this was a new departure for us the teams. And as I mentioned on off the ball. Um, the Anglo Celt described Cavan's win in 1933 as an event of international importance, which 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 <laughs> will tell you that what they thought about uh, an Ulster team winning it. But when you say Ulster teams, it was Cavan really. It was Cavan. So you you talked about Jim Smith winning whatever amount of Ulster medals, John O'Reilly winning ten Ulster medals, Big Tom winning winning twelve Ulster medals. Um, Ulster medals back then were, were let's be honest, they're devalued. And you, Cavan were in the All Ireland final and lost by a point in 1928. But by 1928, Cavan had won, I don't know how many, maybe 15 Ulster titles um, by, by 1928. Derry didn't establish a county board until 1930. They hadn't even a county board. They didn't have so much as a set of jerseys. They weren't even entering teams and competitions. Cavan had built uh, Open Breffney Park in 1923, which was described as the Crow Park of the North. It was just an absolute marvel, um, this new stadium. Which held. Held all Ireland semi finals, like yeah, yeah. Cavan had all of this. Other teams weren't even weren't even in the ball game in Ulster. You know, they were entering in in uh, the junior competitions, like some, like Darren were entering in the junior competitions up until the nineteen fifties. So Ulster medals in the first half of the last century were greatly devalued. Like Cavan did not train for the first time. Cavan ever trained for an Ulster final was nineteen forty seven because they had been caught on the hop in forty six by Antrim. So I don't think yeah. I don't. I, I actually think if you there's there's a there's a curve that you can look at for in terms of the value of an Ulster medal in the first half of of the last century, an Ulster medal was pretty was meaningless. It was it was pretty meaningless um, up until the late fifties. Suddenly, then you had competition, and in the nineteen sixties, you had the emergence of Darren winning All Irelands in Ulster. Suddenly, it meant something to win an Ulster medal because you were beating an All Ireland contender. You weren't just turning up and winning Ulster as a formality and then going on. A good year for Cavan wasn't winning Ulster. It was if you got to the All-Ireland final or not back in the day. Mm. So from the 1960s on, Ulster medals were really worth something. And like there's 
I don't think there's a photographic existence of a Cavan team celebrating with an, after winning an Ulster title prior to the 1960s. I've never seen one. And it, it, would, it would get... And Ulster final got very little coverage in the Anglo-Celt back then. It was just taken as a given. And early rounds in Ulster, especially away games, got got very little coverage. I, I've seen reports on, on games like that only got a few paragraphs. Early games, maybe away to Armagh, stuff like that. This is in, in the 50s. And then it, obviously right through the 70s, 80s, and especially in the 90s, and Ulster medal was was huge. And it's, I feel it's been devalued again now because you have a back door, obviously, and the Ulster title doesn't mean what it used to mean, unfortunately. But it's, I think it's important to to bear that in mind. You're talking about players with, 12, with 10, 8, 10, 12 Ulster medals. So there were beating no hopers there, like... Yeah, I, I, I definitely agree with the premise of your argument, but I, 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 I don't think that they're, they're, they're all together worthless. I think that you know there was still a competition, and there was still while Cavan were were leaders in it and had more probably footballers than than other counties. It it just showed that the GA community in Cavan was stronger than others, and 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 therefore we held. Held the, the top spot, but it's a uh, look at the, the, I, I, David. I, I'll give you one, one more comment on that. I'll tell you how devalued Ulster medals were in the first half of the last century. Up until the 1960s, if you look at the archives of the Celt, they, coming up to an Ulster final, they would say Cavan are trying to win their 45th or their 46th or 47th. It got up to Ulster title on, on Sunday. And I, I, when I first started coming across this, I, I was totally puzzled by it. And I remember thinking, that's a typo or, or someone someone has made a mistake there. But it's only from from, from uh, actually I checked it up with George Cartwright, who's done great work on, on the, the history of Cavan football. George explained it to me that he he was the I think it was George himself or maybe George and Father Dan Gilogli, uh, who who had looked back into the, the history of this. And there was no Ulster Championship played in the in the early years there was no Ulster Championship played from from eighteen ninety two when Cavan won it until 1900. Cavan just took all those titles yeah, through right. and threw them onto their list. So what does an Ulster title mean when, when there's eight years of no championship and you just say, yeah, okay, that's eight Ulster titles? Absolutely nothing. And, and there still is, um, there still is actually, there's two titles that are accredited to Cavan, but that George Carter, because um, Dave made the mistake, he said 39 Ulster titles again, but the actual figure is 37, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. That's right. So, like, you know, when, when you're talking about... There's still two in, in the mid-20s or noughties, or was it? Well, we, you, I think this is making my point for me. If you look at what, what an Ulster title meant to the players and to the supporters in 1997, and then you're, then you're talking about two Ulster titles just kind of went to begging down through the decades. Yeah, there was an Ulster title here or there, but yeah, it doesn't really matter. Like, or, is it 37? Is it 39? I think there's no doubt as devalued. So all Ireland's all Ireland's were the thing. Yeah, yeah. Even even just looking through George Carter's book, and, and for me, that's the that's the that's the gospel um, for everything. But there was one Ulster final that Cavan were due to play Monaghan in. I can't remember the year. I'm just trying to look and see if I, if I can find it. But basically, most of the Cavan team decided that they weren't going to go, or the county board decided that they weren't going to go. And I think just a contingency from Crusillon from Cornafain went and played it, and Monaghan won the, the final. You know, so like literally, there was no the final, but no, well, we're not proceeding. It was it was a debate over venue. Um, yeah. So you know, yeah. I, 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 all that does back up your argument that 
you know, well, it was it was one of those things that it nearly was devalued at the time. But come here, still bring it back. Other other names that that didn't get much of a measure. Well, it got a bit of Charlie Gallagher's name was was slightly mentioned in the debate there. But I suppose in in the realm of history, without winning the All Ireland, it's it's hard to it's hard to give it. While you make the argument in Ulster and all those Ulster titles come with an asterisk, the All Irelands don't. That's yeah, that's right. Yeah, completely. Yeah, an All Ireland, an All Ireland is an All Ireland, and always was, and always will be. Please God, but um, not winning an, an All Ireland does take away from it. But it's it's very hard to make an argument for a player who didn't win an All Ireland, no matter how outstanding an individual they were. When, when there's players in the mix with with multiple All Irelands, like if you take Gabriel Kelly for example, like I I came across a report um, prior to the 1967 Ulster final and. Gabriel Kelly was regarded as the best, I think he was the best right cornerback in the history of the game. And uh, he didn't win his All-Ireland medal. And when it came to picking the team of the millennium and the team of the century, Enda Colloran from Galway was named on that team in Gabriel's position. And if you talk to any, I'm not saying any because I haven't spoken to them all, but I've spoken to several players and not just Cavan players from that era who played against Gabriel Kelly. And it's said Enda Colloran was a great player, but he wasn't in Gabriel Kelly's league. But Gabriel didn't get get the All Ireland Medal, and he didn't. He wasn't, I suppose, a folk hero, as Dan Gilogley described John Joe Riley, the last leader of Cavan football, a folk hero. So I don't think being selected once on an opinion based arbitrary team, which can be tokenistic in nature, can be used as as uh, something to back it up. Like someone made the comment on Instagram that John Joe was John Joe was chosen as the greatest centre back of of the nineteenth century. He meant the twentieth century, but but it doesn't hold up. That that's that's just a sort of a simplistic way of looking at this. Well, everybody on that team won in All Ireland. At least one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And that's exactly. And, and and therefore that was the base point. But and and I was trying to uh, trying to um, remember this award a few years ago. Gabriel Kelly did get on a cornerback position on on a on a team. Can you remember what that was? It no, was, I don't, was like, don't remember that. There was something because I remember meeting Gabriel and congratulating him, and I just can't think what the what the award was. But like it was, it was like it, maybe it was team of the second half of the century or something like that. But he got he got the cornerback award, um, but it, it couldn't have been the second half because John Joe was on it as well, and I can't remember now. It, it could have been by a paper. I, I'd say it was, it was probably the Cavan team of the millennium. Uh, maybe no, no, it wasn't. No, it was a national one. Okay. It, it could have been by the. I must. I must research it out. But Gabriel Kelly definitely. He 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 picked up an award for one of the best cornerbacks in the GA in the history of the GA. Um, and, and and was picked on a team. I'll dig it out from somewhere and and I'm good through it. But again, award for the sake of awards doesn't get him on the round. Doesn't get it. So some of the other comments that came but, in was was one hundred percent no one hundred percent wrong. No diehard would leave John Joe out. And to that, I would say. Would a diehard? Why should a diehard leave out Tony Ty or or Hughie O'Reilly? You know, maybe a diehard or, or Big Tom who who uh, who who played played with Cornerfan all the square. Like there's Cornerfan people uh, getting in touch with me saying uh, most biased against the Reds showing up again, disgraceful stuff, uh, stuff like that. But the fact <laughs> that the fact of the matter was um, they're synonymous with Cornerfane, and Big Tom played with Cornerfane all his life. John Joe was gone from Cornerfane after 1937. He he was gone after the age of 19, and all his All Irelands were won, and 
all the big games where he captain Cavan through the forties, he was he was um his club was listed as the Curra and Kildare. So John Joe had a huge association with Kildare. Um so that's important to to, to remember that as well. You're 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 definitely making no friends in Corner Fan on this podcast. <laughs> I'm just uh giving the reasons because yeah, well, I'm just giving give the reasons because there's two sides to the debate. Like the, another one, someone said to me, which I thought was was uh, someone posted this on Instagram, David. I'll read this one out to you now, and I, I just thought I, I had to reply to this one because, uh, and and this came from a very a very uh, certain certain man who who wouldn't be one for for going overboard. He said, "Could Paul name five other female golfers off the top of his head?" And to that, I would say, "Could you name five of the?" cross-country female cross-country runners uh, from the early 1990s that Katrina McKernan competed against or, or could you name five handballers that Paul Brady competed against unlikely for a I'm sure you could name the handballers I mean I couldn't name the runners um, and it's unlikely that, that most people yeah. could name the handballers so I don't think that's a point no the, the answer to that is could I name five female golfers I'd be doing well Lisa Leona McGuire would be two of them anyway. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. And having said that, we, and we will move on out of out of the football and into. So your your three were. Uh, sorry, who was your? So Mick Higgins was your fourth, or well, sorry, Mick Higgins was was the football representative over Huey. Am I right in saying that? Essentially, yeah. So how it worked was okay. was. Um... Dave McIntyre picked his four and then I was allowed to veto one of them. So his four were Katrina McKernan. It wasn't in order, but it was named out in order and it was kind of taken that it was. So Katrina McKernan was was the first one named. Paul Brady was the second one. And then he went John Joe, John Joe and Mick. He read them out together. So I don't know what preference he had there. Um, and I, I wanted to get Leona McGuire into it. So I ended up vetoing John Joe. Now he let, he talked he had Hue, okay. Huey in the mix as well. He had picked John Joe over Huey O'Reilly. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And and we'll we'll move on to Paul and Katrina maybe in, in a wee bit. But on the Leona Maguire, most of the debate is coming that she's she hasn't done what she's going to do yet. You know that that she's too young to have made this yet. Yeah, I know. I know. I, I an awful lot of people have said that to me, but. Uh, I can only stick to my own guns on it because, like, I checked up with a friend of mine who writes for a golf magazine, and I said, "How how many uh, female amateur members of golf clubs are there in the world?" And he estimated about about two million. And I said, "Like, how many of them would be competing?" And he said, "You could say half of them would compete at either club competitions or local representative competitions. So all of these would be high handicappers and stuff like that. But they're all members who compete." in female golf. And Leona Maguire didn't just get to the top 1,000, which would be a phenomenal achievement. She didn't just get to the top 100 or the top 10. She got to the number one spot and stayed there for 132 weeks and broke the world record. As an amateur. As an amateur, Sorry, yeah. that's amateur number one. So, but yeah, that's there's a, a professional league above that. There's a professional league, yeah, for pe- people who turn professional. But you could also, you could, I mean, yeah. you, you, could say, you could say that uh, John John Evan for when he won the Olympic medal, but was he good enough to beat you no know, Oscar Valdez? Well, he did actually beat Oscar Valdez, but was he good enough to beat the the professional champion in, in his weight class at the time? Does that devalue his his Olympic silver medal because there was a pro out there who might have beaten him? Like the the pros come through the most of the pros come through the amateur ranks as well. Like Lydia Cole, for example, the superstar of golf, it was her record that Leona beat. So like, if you take 
you know, Lomachenko, Lomachenko when he was when he was boxing in the Olympics, are his Olympic medals uh, tainted because there was there was a professional champion in the same weight category? I don't buy that. I think he was the absolute best out of out of hundreds of thousands of of uh, competitors in his in his game, which was amateur boxing. And Leona has already shown yeah, show, and she's not out of her depth at, at, at pro level. And in the female pro game, in the female pro game, they, they nearly all go through the, the collegiate system. It's not a thing that they turn well, pro at sixteen. Very few of them. Oh yeah, no, no, no. I, I and I can understand the side of your debate, but I, I would say compare Leona to Paul Brady. Paul didn't win. He wasn't the best in the world at at a different level or at a, at, a, at, a, at a bracket within that. He was the best in the world in, 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 in our handball. You know, that was it. He was the best in the world at that particular sport. Katrina McCarran, and, you know, don't, there isn't different levels of, of professional or amateur athletics. Katrina McCarran rose to the top in athletics overall. So maybe where the debate is coming, don't get me wrong, I'm not, I'm not knocking. You couldn't possibly lock, knock Leona Maguire. But when she rises to the top few in the world in professional golf, I think the status goes up. I think to be world number one at professional level is unquestionable that you're world number one. Whereas in golf, whereas, you know, to be world number one in amateur says there's another level to go. Well, no, but it, it, it could be just as hard to win in the amateurs as it is in the pros. When you're when you're when you're in that game, like when you're when you're in the amateurs and it's so even and there's so many talented players. Like you take you take the um, Katie Taylor, she found it harder to win in the amateurs than she did, than she has in the pros. She's won a lot easier in the pros. The am- amateur female boxing is. Is a, a much deeper field than professional female boxing, just because it's professional doesn't Well, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if I'd agree with your argument on that for the simple reason that there are less professional female boxers out there because that means the chance of you as a female professional boxer making a good living is tough. It's very very tough. Whereas in golf, if you make it as a female professional. If you get invited onto the tours, you're going to be able to sustain your living. It's it, you know well, you won't, you it, won't, the, the, the structure. You won't make a living. You won't make a living off exemptions or invites. You have to qualify to get there. You have to earn your card. You can you can you can get onto the lower ranked tours like the Symmetra tour, but you won't make a living there. Like Leona won on that tour and she won twenty grand. You're not going to get rich off it. Like bear in mind that Leona Maguire is is a graduate of first class honors in psychology from Duke University. Uh, I'd imagine that that she she'd had a very lucrative career if she had gone into the, that line of work anyway. So winning twenty grand, winning a few tournaments a year, is not going to cut it for her. So um, I wouldn't necessarily agree with that. No. Well, I, I I my point being that if if the idea was then that right, well the, the amateur, the world number one in amateur is the best in the world. Why would you go to professional? Well, you're going into the, the paid game. You're fin- you're, it's natural progression. You finish college, you're going into the professional ranks. You're going to the paid game. It's it's the pathway that they take. Uh, I'm not saying it's I'm not saying it's it's a higher standard. I'm saying it's a different standard. It's a different 
it's like professional boxing and, and uh, amateur boxing. That's how I would compare it. You're coming up against funded athletes in uh, <clears throat> who are in the equivalent of Sport Ireland, only in their own countries, and have been trained to the nth degree. And there's hundreds of them. I mean, there's hundreds of these carded athletes who are who are who've got access to everything, strength and conditioning and nutrition and and sports psychology. Like the top the top of uh, amateur golf is the cutting edge of elite sport. Make no mistake about that. And she absolutely dominated it. She absolutely had it in a vice like grip for a few years. Collegiate she won the the Mark McCormick medal, which is for the top collegiate golfer in the United States. Mm. Like there's thousands and thousands and thousands of female amateur golfers in the United States trying to come up through the ranks. It's it's a big collegiate sport over there. She was the very, very best of them. And we have to be realistic here. Is that harder to win than, than winning an Ulster an Ulster football title in the nineteen forties where you didn't even train? Like and I know that the, I know that the likes of John Gerrilli was captain of two All Irelands and that's 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 fine. That like that in itself, unbelievable. But I don't want to hear this thing of he won eight Ulster medals. Eight Ulster medals in the nineteen thirties and forties doesn't cut it for me when you're compared to this level. It's a different level. That's a different level of sport, in my opinion. An All Ireland, okay, an All Ireland football medal would always be an All Ireland football medal, but not a, not an Ulster medal. It shouldn't come into the conversation. Yeah, it's it's funny now. I don't get me wrong. What Leona Maguire's achieved is is nothing short of phenomenal. As you made the point, coming from West Cavan, where you know, it, right. Granted, probably the, the addition of the sleeve Russell was, was a huge advantage in her progression, but it, it, it's nothing short of phenomenal that somebody from Cavan has risen to the standard that she's already risen to. Um, I, I think nearly why I'd leave her off is because I, I, I think there's so much more to come and that by the, fast forward 15 years down the line, Leona Maguire is making that, that Mount Rushmore. It's just a matter of who's position she's going to take at that point but I don't know if she's just warranted it just yet like I think coming from Cavan where where we do by nature being Cavan people we elevate football above other sports because it's our number one sport yeah but that goes back to my point um but that feeds into what I talked about earlier on and we're still clinging on to this this history of where we went of a time where we won 40 out of 50 Ulster titles and, and we're clinging to this era that that, that we, it's like British exceptionalism. It's like we're something different. We're we're Cavan. We're not we're nothing different. There was an awful lot of chance involved in that. Okay, we won five All Irelands, but a lot of those Ulster titles can be discounted. And and I've talked about this before. That period of flux in the late nineteen fifties when it all changed. Suddenly, suddenly we didn't have it all our own way anymore, and like we didn't exactly respond well to it. We spent, what have no. we done? In, what, what we've done in the last 60 years is go, why aren't we winning every year? Boo-hoo. And, 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 and talk about it. And we've opened a new centre of excellence and we've called it the Polo Grounds. Do you know? And yeah. I'm guilty of this as much as anyone. We're, 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 we're always, always looking back. And what, we're looking back, in a way, we're looking back at a mirage that doesn't really exist. Okay, our All-Irelands are, are there. I know. No, that's too far. That's too far to say it's a mirage that doesn't really exist. It existed. No. It, 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 it existed. <clears throat> it was real. It, it was tangible because it was a medal you actually earned. Whether, whether there was a lot of people competing for it or not, it was something that you wanted. It was something that those players wanted at that time. So it definitely was by no means a mirage. I said it's, it's a mirage. A lot of those Ulster titles are a mirage to, to the extent that an Ulster title holds a certain status. 
back then the Ulster title didn't hold that status. We're projecting the status of modern Ulster titles onto ancient Ulster titles. And that, that's just not accurate. All-Ireland's, yes, and All-Ireland is an All-Ireland and, and always will be. But we cannot project the status of an Ulster medal now or what it meant to the boys in 97 or even what it meant to beat Darren in 69 and so on. We can't project that back to, to the late 30s when you were, you were playing an Ulster Championship with, with four or five teams in it and teams were cobbled together at the last minute. And Cavan themselves cobbled together teams. Cavans themselves did not train. Most of these Ulster titles that we won, we did not even train for. So I don't think it meant all that much. We we, we don't okay. we don't Damien Damien if we don't even know how many we, we won <laughs> these these medals you're talking about we don't even know how many of them we have so yeah we'll we'll go on to Katrina and Paul and then we'll talk about a few others that maybe were in in my opinion in the conversation I think they briefly came up as well but maybe we'll start with those because the likes of Andy Murray Leanne Cairn and Killian Shorten for me even Kira Smith possibly just. Look, they're not going to be on the mountain, but they 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 would be in the conversation of the best sports people we've ever had. Yeah, they would. Yeah, they would. No doubt about it. Like Andy Murray, probably the best boxer in the country at one point. He was before the high performance unit was set up. He was the only boxer in the country that was capable of meddling at multi nations tournaments at one stage. He was unlucky. It was so difficult to qualify for the Olympics, particularly in '04. He went pro and. Uh, didn't happen for him as a pro, but he got a setback and, and then he decided to retire. But Andy Murray was was phenomenally gifted uh, amateur boxer. Keira Smith, no doubt. I think Keira Smith's going to make the Olympics. I, I, I think that. Well, and she, she's only got yeah. one chance, chance left now. And I think she's going That's to get right. there. I, I think that. I've thought that for a while. And she's just been so unlucky. If you look back through her records, I interviewed her there about a month ago. Like she, like Every tournament she goes to, she gets the She could have anyone. And she gets the Olympic champion or the or the world number one, we'll say, in the first round and invariably gets beaten on a split decision. That's been going on for years. And the, and she's been so unlucky. And you know what happened there at the, la- the last... She was going to the Olympic qualifier there in London. And yeah. she, got in- she got injured at a training camp in Italy. And she was, she was dominating the training camp. They do a lot of sparring with different countries. And she was dominating. And uh, she got injured. And when the draw came out, so the, the the Irish squad then put in a replacement for her in that qualifier. Straight off, she got she got a bye. The girl who got the replacement got a bye to the to the round of sixteen, which Kira has never got, which meant she was two fights away from Rio, or from uh, Tokyo. Yeah, I'm right. To say, yeah, Tokyo. Yeah, and yeah, Tokyo. She got an easy draw in the first round, and she fought this English I girl. Just the quarters. Yeah, she fought this English girl who hadn't boxed in seven years. And as a mother of three, and had come back to boxing, and it's just not at that level at all. And uh, Kira would beat her with her hands behind her back. Now she beat the Irish girl, and then got got well beaten in the next round. And uh, the girl had beat her in the next round. Kira had beaten her five 0 the last time she boxed. So that would have been her, her draw. Only she got that injury. So she's extremely unlucky. Um, but I think she, I think a local tournament will have to. Well, persistence usually usually sees a tournament. Fairness. Then we have Leanne Kieran again. Like a phenomenal talent, but a little bit too young, um, and and still has a lot to experience. But to be a professional soccer um, player, probably the, definitely the first that Calvin has produced in ladies, um, you know, and and then to reach the the, the pinnacle of of playing for Ireland, like phenomenal, phenomenal stuff from from Leanne. 
Yeah, completely. Uh, completely phenomenal. Like getting a hat trick in the FAI Cup final, going on and making it as a pro, brilliant. Like, and I think she she will be in the mix again. We're talking about a lot of a lot of ladies here, and it just goes to show that the quality of female sports people in Cavan. I think Leanne would be in the mix if she yeah, keeps going the, yeah. going the way she's going. Um, no doubt about it. Definitely. You mentioned you mentioned Kelly, and again, yeah, Killian. Killian just deserves it. In like he's the longest serving professional athlete that the county has produced. Yeah, that's really interesting. That's really interesting. Well, I, I wonder how long was was Katrina McKernan running as a professional. Be interesting to know that. But I, obviously, Killian maybe has just edged her out. Uh, Katrina, Katrina yeah. retired uh, after 2000, so she would have been running professionally probably throughout the 90s. But Killian, I mean, Killian has struggled together for so long, and it's it's a bugbear of mine. Like you hear people saying, Paul McShane was the one I used to always reference. You hear people saying, "Oh, Paul McShane, he's fucking useless. He's a donkey." It's like no, Paul McShane is in the is in the top point, not 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 one percent of sports people on this planet. And that's why he's yeah, yeah. that's why he's making big money playing professional soccer. And it's the same with Killian Sheridan. He mightn't he mightn't well he is a full international, but he mightn't have made it in the premiership. But to make it as a professional for ten years or twelve years, whatever it is, it just goes to show that that uh, he might be viewed as a journeyman professional, but and that maybe that's viewed as disparaging, but I wouldn't view that as disparaging. I'd say that's an absolute triumph. Right. Because it, it, it comes completely agree with you. But it comes down, but that, again, that feeds into my Leona Maguire argument, David, because you're talking about statistics. Statistically, how hard is it to to uh, to make it as tw- maintain a professional years, career for twelve years? Yeah, the odds are so so much against them. Like like at one stage, I think there was there was a hundred players, hundred two hundred Irish young lads were going across the water. I think I read this stat a few years ago. There's two hundred a year going across the water and taking up apprentice contracts. And of the 200, two are expected to, to make it and have careers. So and that's every year. So in five years, you have a 1,000 and 10 of them are going to make it. And he's one of them. Um, and that's only get it, make it. Like the chance of actually making it to the Premier League, like Paul McShane did, and the abuse that he gets is is mar- is minute. But if you look at... Like there'd be similar odds making it to the number one stage in... Uh, in female golf for 130 weeks, it would be a similar, similarly astronomical odds. And, and like nobody loves handball more than me, and nobody is in awe of Paul Brady's achievements as much as me. But statistically, it's much harder to do what Leona did than what Paul did. Yeah, and, and again, I, I, I don't have the figures to hand, so I, I can only say, I, I, off the top of my head, imagine you're right, there's more golfers than there is handballers, but I suppose we, we, we'll move it on because. It's it's not necessarily just that that you know you, you could say there's not a huge amount of numbers playing, but when Paul Brady started, he started in an era when when Ireland, while playing a lot of handball, weren't really on the world stage, you know. And then he goes on and dominates the world in in it. So he didn't just make one jump or two jumps. He he, he jumped five or six steps above where anybody else in Ireland had done. He did, yeah, one hundred percent, well, completely, yeah. Now there was there was an element of in recent years the standard has dropped in the states, but not in the first half of his career when when he he established that dominance. Um, you could definitely couldn't argue that in the last couple of years there's been a drop off in, in the standard in America, 
But like back when he when he first broke through, like when he won the ultimate handball showdown in two thousand and four, there were six the sixteen best players in the world were there, and I mean there was nobody missing. They had brought back they, there was a there was a guy called Tati Silvera from Los Angeles, uh, astonishing player, and he had been the number one player at one stage in the nineties and uh, had had drifted away a little bit, but he was still only about thirty. He came back for that tournament. A lot of these a lot of these Americans had uh, like Chapman. He, he had a car dealership or he worked as something like a BMW salesman. He packed in his job because there was $50,000 up for grabs. So they, a lot of those boys quit working for a few months. So they were really professionals uh, back in 2004. So that was the toughest tournament he ever won. Um, and the biggest breakthrough, the first Irish man to, to go over there and win like that. So like amazing, astonishing. Like, and Paul Brady, I used to have this argument with, with fellas. We used to say, if, if handball was as big as tennis, you know, there'd be a hundred Paul Brady's out there. There'd be a thousand Paul Brady's out there. My handball buddies just say this to me, but I don't think so. I th- even though it's making a bit of a mockery of my argument, I think he'd still, <laughs> find, he'd still find a way to get to the top because that's just, he's got that in him. Well, that was it. It, it. it just so happened that the sport that he chose was handball. That was just the way it was. I I I believe I I personally believe you're right that just knowing the makeup of the man, whatever he decided he was going to do, he was going to be the number one in it. Whether that had it been tennis or Gaelic football or handball, whatever he'd have done it because he just had that makeup in him, and and that's something that I I think I said it before. I'd love to have seen what Paul could have done for Cavan football had he not been at handball because he. I think he was just that sort of, and is that sort of driven, strong personality that's just going to find a way to make it happen, you know. So, um, you know, he, 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 for me, for me, the two definite guarantees are Paul and then Katrina McKernan, who it was something that me and you have had almost debate or discussion over, and, and we're not going to do it now, but they are, they're, they're the two that are just ahead of everybody else, really, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, they they are, I suppose. Like, like I, I, I'm wary of of people know I have a humble bias, so I'm kind of wary of answering that question. But, um, I suppose that in terms of of their achievements, you'd have to say, and and they came in individual sports as well, so it's probably easier to evaluate them, um, because I'm sure there's been there's been unbelievable individual footballers who just were unlucky enough not to be part of a successful winning culture and teams as well, whereas individual sports it's easier to say all right you've won x y and z and it, and it was all off your own steam but i hope i hope nobody thinks yeah. that i am that i am denigrating john joe Riley. like that's that's certainly not <laughs> that's certainly not the point not at all i just i'm just i'm just trying to put his put a bit of perspective on it like like we're talking about this mount rushmore this is a very arbitrary thing um you know are we, if we're talking about the greatest hero the greatest folk hero of calvin uh sporting history I think John Joe Riley hands down wins it. You know, it's there's it's a it's it's a different. Yeah. You know, the criteria is different. Like people people should shouldn't shouldn't uh, think that I'm that I'm just rubbishing John Joe Riley. And if we're talking about the the greatest you know sort of style icon or the greatest sort of pop figure of of cabin football history or cabin sporting history, well, Carly Gallagher wins that. You know, like they they all had their own different characteristics, but. Um, it makes for a great topic. Fair play to the off the ball boys. It's a great thing to get people talking during this lockdown. 
Well, that's it. And, and even for the idea of the, the Mount Rushmore, they don't just, because it does leave it open for a little bit of, of debate on, on, on why different people are, are, are included on it. But like, it, it's, it's the whole idea that, that for me, Mount Rushmore is literally tag off achievements and, and right, okay, have they done it? Have they done it? Yeah, they they deserve to be up there because they did it. You know, it's not it's not well. Hopefully they will do it, or hopefully they 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 could have done it. It's they've done it, and that's that's the beauty of it. But I have to say, anybody who hasn't listened to it, um, it's up on YouTube. We'll uh, we, we'll try and stick the a link to it in the notes if you want to listen back to Mount Rushmore. Um, and I think Paul, what we're going to have to do is get Dave, the Calvin man, Dave McIntyre on. Um, for those that don't maybe know him very much, Cavan man, both his parents are from Cavan, uh, Virginia and Balanya, I believe, and, uh, and and he's a commentator for Sky Sports for Virgin Media. He was on off the ball for years before that, so um, you recognise the voice. And if you don't know, he's a mad Cavan man. We'll get him on the We Are Cavan podcast in the next few weeks, I think, just to to chat about it. Because interestingly enough, he said that his greatest sporting memory was the Ulster final in 97. Yeah, amazing for a man who's sort of been up close and personal with so many big events, uh, commentating on Irish rugby matches and all that kind of thing. Yeah, that's, yeah, he's he's like a lot of people that are, that are the son of Cavan people. They're even more staunch than the parents. I've noticed that. Like, he's he really loves it. Yeah. But uh, before we go there, I, mean, I should, should also mention, I mentioned George Cartwright and, and his his uh, endless knowledge of, of the history of Cavan football earlier on. George is actually working on a biography of John Joe O'Reilly. And uh, I think right. I think I, I saw a tweet from him earlier on. He was saying it's out in the autumn. I knew he was working on it. So that's something that's going to be, I would recommend when that book comes out for everyone to pick it up because George is the authority on John Joe O'Reilly. And uh, he, he, that'll be a real labour of love for him because, you know, George has already written written a great history of Cornerfane uh, GFC called the Cornerfane Achievement. And he's he's written the the book of records that me and you never let out of our hand either, Breffney about. So the John Joe book. So I think we 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 balance the scales on John Joe when we when when close to the time maybe and get George on as well. Yep, without a doubt, without a doubt. Thanks very much, folks, for listening to the McAvoy Super Value GA podcast. Don't forget to tune into our Diehards podcast later on in the week. Um, I think we're debating which ones to do this week. We we'll either go over Paul's senior rankings or we might um, review and, and put together our own Martin Brehany style Cavan's top 20 players of the last 50 years. I think that'd be an interesting discussion. Absolutely, yeah. We got a row going there too. <laughs> exactly. Thanks very much, Paul. Thanks for listening, folks. 